All right, all right. Welcome back to the Slay Less Show, season two. We took a hiatus for the month of January so that I could get some much needed rest and focus on real life things like my child and my finances. <laughs> but today I wanted to talk because during that hiatus, um, a documentary came out detailing Robert Kelly, also known as R. Kelly, also known as the Pied Piper. And his history of sexual violence, assault, and rape against black women and girls. And if you're like me, you grew up in the 90s, um, you remember R. Kelly as larger than life. You remember, you know, I, I think he got his career start maybe like a year or two before I was born. I was born in 1991. But I remember um, watching him, you know, rise. I remember my parents. My parents weren't super fans, but I definitely remember seeing him on BET, seeing him. He was like, you know, he was a cultural figure. I knew that he was really talented in so much as, you know, he was a writer. Um, he groomed a lot of the R&B artists that we know from the 90s that have been very, very influential to pop music today. Um, and I distinctly remember his marriage and subsequent annulment to the late Aaliyah. So today I have two guests here with me to talk about this and to really dive into this. And I'm approaching this subject and talking about some very dark subject matters. So trigger warning for anybody who's listening. We will be talking about rape, uh, molestation, sexual violence, sexual assault, as it pertains to black women, specifically within the black community. Um, so I have two guests here with me today. Uh, Emma, if you'd like to go ahead and introduce yourself, tell the people a little bit about you where they can find your work, um, where they can uh, you know, possibly contact you, so on and so forth. Um, hi, my name is Emma Robinson. Um, I am the digital organizer for the AFIA Center in Dallas, a black women's reproductive justice organization. Um, and so we do direct um, service with folks who are affected by sexual violence all the time. Um, and if the data is correct, and I believe that it's honestly under it's it's not as it's not as correct as I would like for it to be, but most of the people that most of us know have been touched by sexual violence. Um, that's what the data says. So I want to um, make my work more, um, I guess, well-rounded. So I'm always trying to find ways to um, interact with other folks who are concerned about uh, the stuff that we are going to be dealing with today. Um, but you can find me at um, the Womanist Library. Um, so um, you can use that as my Instagram handle. Um, the website is thewomanistlibrary.com. Um, very easy to find. I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> awesome. I'm happy that you're. I'm happy you're on the line. And Emma had some. Uh, we had some some transportation issues with her bus and the car accident and the bus being delayed. So she's actually supposed to be coming in from Austin and couldn't make it today. But I'm so happy that she was still able to call in and participate because I really, really wanted her to be here and to give us some of her input. And okay, my second guest, Whitney, my good friend from college, Whitney Jones. Hi, everybody. <laughs> oh, was I? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks. No, yeah. I mean, like, tell us what you do. And gotcha. Yeah, girl. It's a short intro. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. you're fine. <laughs> yeah, I so. Love that answer. <laughs> I'm Whitney Jones. Um, I'm a teacher at an all boys middle school in Dallas with Celeste. And um, yeah, I'm a social studies teacher. I don't know what else. Awesome. I, I mean, that's, that's good grew enough up for listening me. to R. Kelly and yeah. Yes. So I feel like, you know, that's a good enough intro for me. I feel like we've all kind of been affected um, more or less by his actions and them coming, you know, full force to the public, which which is always interesting to me because I feel like in my family, we've known R. Kelly was, you know, was, was funny and was kind of out of there for a very long time. I mean, you had... Um, I mean, just just the sheer fact that how old was he? I think he was like 27 years old when he married Aaliyah. And she when was, he married Aaliyah. Yeah, yeah, she was like 14 or 15. 15. So, I mean, that's classic right but there. But that's the thing. That came out in like 1995, 90, like super, super long ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's like been, yeah. Was that like a well-known thing though? Because I just recently heard about that. No, I've known about that. I remember um, when it happened, my oh. parents talking about it. And I remember my cousin, because my cousin, uh, she's how I got like nine years older than me and she was like 14 or 15 and she was a huge fan of R. Kelly and Aaliyah 
remember her talking about it to my uncle, like overhearing these conversations and just like, you know, everybody's kind of being like shocked. And even then, just the air in which people talked about it, it was almost so sensationalized that people talked about it. You know, the documents were there as far as like them having like, you know, them having because, you know, when you marry somebody, it becomes public record as far Mm -hmm. as a public record, like actually being accessible to people. And people still being like, no, that didn't actually happen. They didn't actually get married. Yeah. And I'm like, no, nah, like, this is like, this yeah. shit is real. Like, and looking back on it now as an adult, when I got old enough, I was like, no, it's really real. Back then as a child, like, it wasn't really a big deal to me. But I remember hearing realize. these conversations, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember hearing that R. Kelly wrote her song or her album, Age Ain't Nothing But a Number. The first one, yeah, like, her first yeah, album. Yeah, and I remember thinking, like, hmm, but I didn't actually, I didn't realize they had a relationship until just, like, a couple of years ago. Yeah, put two and so. two together. So, all right, are y'all ready? Well, that's the thing that's weird is that, like, this was on MTV News, uh-huh. and black people were not watching MTV News like that, which means that white people were, which means that the broader culture was very aware of what this man was talking about, because, like, that news show that they showed a clip from MTV News, that was huge. Like that wasn't just on like the the minor MTV channels, which didn't even come along until the mid aughts of the mid two thousands. This is on like everybody who was watching MTV saw this news clip because they didn't just show the news clips. They also used to have a running ticker tape. So like this was on the ticker tape. Everyone knew that this was a thing. They, that's the thing that's so like jarring to me. Once I put, I'm very big on context. I love, I love knowing the context of a thing. So like millions of people watched the ticker tape mm-hmm. and knew that this man was sleeping with children. God, and he, and he, went on about their day. You know, I'm mm-hmm. interested that you said that because okay, like. MTV, especially in the 90s, like, MTV was not our shit, and a lot of black people weren't watching MTV. Uh-huh. And so I'm, I'm interested to know, in comparison, like, comparatively speaking, was there any coverage of this on BET? Like, from, like, the black channel, from, that's, like, the channel? Exactly, because that's what I was wondering. I was like, damn, okay, so MTV was showing this on their regular news time, which was during prime, yes. prime hours, and then they replayed it later. So, like, who else was talking about this at that time? Damn. Somebody else had to be talking about it. I wish I had thought to like look into that because that really makes me wonder and it kind of leads into our first question. So, because we see these trends, uh, unfortunately, in the black community with um, black people rallying around in particular black men who have been abusive to black women and kind of telling the black women to kind of shut up. Like, hey, like, you know, pipe mm-hmm. down, shut the fuck up. But the first question, let's dive into it. What traditions of misogynoir excuse me, do you see in the black community that have allowed Robert Kelly's victims to go silenced for so long? And anyone, either one of you can tackle that question first, just you know, whatever y'all want to do. Mm. Um, so to me, I've since I watched this, because I've watched this documentary like four or five times all the way through. Mm. Because I'm very much I oh I love gosh. to like oh. Rewatch something because yeah. I need I need to know what it is that I'm dealing with, um, <clears throat> and so like for me I've been thinking like I want to know what culture period doesn't sacrifice its daughters because mm-hmm. like it seems to me that there's not a culture that doesn't sacrifice its daughters because mm-hmm. here we see folks and at this point in the mid 90s this was a a huge moment for Black folks you had like riots happening and like moments of police brutality being like aired on tv and like sensationalized etc and so like i imagine that there was a big push to not harm the black community as a whole and so people were encouraged to shut up about this because it would have hurt the black community as a whole i um... according to some people's like thoughts no i I totally agree and i mean also and to keep, like, you know, like, historical and chronological context, around the same time you had Tupac being accused of rape and being sent to prison. A lot of people were pissed about that. A lot of people were pissed that he went to jail. They claim he didn't rape. Like, he didn't rape that girl. Um, same thing with when Mike Tyson, I think around the same time, Mike Tyson went to prison. Um, this is maybe mm-hmm. a few years after uh, Anita Hill testified before the Senate and said that Clarence Thomas was, you know, sexually harassing and assaulting her, uh, and nobody believed mm-hmm. her, right? So, like, all these things are happening 
around the same time. So then I, I look at I look at uh, R. Kelly and misogynoir in the black community. I look at Ali and I look at the fact that nobody really seemed to like really go after him the way that he was supposed to. And it's, for me, I see a trend. Like I see a trend. And I, I absolutely agree that you're right. I don't think any culture necessarily does much to protect their daughters or protect their women because patriarchy is like, it's so much bigger than just any one particular community, right? Like it's pervasive across the world. It's pervasive in so many different cultures. Um, but I, I never really... Specifically cultures that are influenced heavily by capitalism, but that's, that is, that's that a is different true. conversation. Oh, no, we're going we're gonna to touch on that before we leave tonight. But um, yeah. I just kind of, I just, you know, I see that, that trend a lot of like, no, like, you know, like, be quiet, like, don't say anything because we don't want to make the black community look bad, especially the community that's already marginalized, already experiences so much, I guess, judgment or what well, would you say? Yeah. I mean, and now these days people are like, well, why are we trying to take down all the black men? You know, because it was like Bill Cosby. Yeah. And, now and people are acting <laughs> like there's this attack on uh, successful black men. Yeah. Right now. A lot Which of is black funny people. because no one is asking them. <laughs> It seems like there are a bunch of black men who have been taught that women are worthless. Why are we not shifting the culture that we live in so that mm -hmm. we don't keep raising men who think women are worthless? <laughs> it's funny that it's like, no, stop, stop talking about it as opposed to what, how do we fix this? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what I would think. Like, wow, yeah. all of these men get access to money and then they just go on like a raping spree. Yeah. Or like they just go on like a, a violence spree because this is what they thought power looked like. Yeah, I wonder what we did to teach them that this is what power looks like. Um, you know, accountability is a bitch, and I think that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just the black community. I mean, that's rape culture in it's our pervasive. Society. It is yeah, pervasive, I and I think so. I think um, in particular, like with with black men. I I always say this, I say this all the time, and I'm like, I am very, very vehement in this belief that black men really think that patriarchy is for them. And I'm like, bro, patriarchy mm -hmm. is not for you. That shit was not created for you. You don't benefit from that at all. Like, let me, I don't know any other way to say that to you, but like patriarchy is not for you. And patriarchy is steeped in capitalism, and capitalism is not for you. So I don't understand, mm -hmm. like... Where the disconnect is as far as um, black men thinking success has to be adopting this white ideal, this white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalist ideal of manhood that says that you have to rule over the woman, that you have to like rule over her body, that every single aspect of her identity has to belong to you. And that if you are to do something violent towards her, then she owes you her silence. I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. I never have understood that. Mm-mm. <sighs> I yeah, because that's what, but like it's it's weird to me that there doesn't seem to because this stuff keeps happening. So it's like this is not the first time that a man has been like outed for being awful, or that a black man has been outed for being awful. Mm -hmm. And instead of opting to fix it, we've just covered it up. So it's like okay, so I know that y'all did that when you were young, but like now we have a chance to like not do this anymore. <laughs> so weird. It would be cool if we could just, like, not um, breed men that, like, are awful. You know, me, it, that seems to be such a thing to ask. No, because, I Because, like, that in the end, it really doesn't benefit you. At some point, you do realize that, like, the the women that you want to have power over so badly aren't. They don't want to be in that kind of relationship, which means that they don't want to be with you. It's weird to me that that's not something that is like a deterrent to men because to me if if i'm rejected by something then i say okay and like leave it alone if i'm in a relationship with something that requires me to be dominant over it then i don't that doesn't feel good to me that i wonder what that feeling is that men get from participating in patriarchy that feels good because it seems to me like it doesn't feel good and it's not like enjoyable i mean i know like having orgasms is great but like you can have orgasms with people who are not 13. you can have orgasms outside of your recording studio where there are seven girls waiting in various rooms just so for weird. the sole purpose so of weird. being like like 
cum dumpsters. That's not, <laughs> that wouldn't be enjoyable to me. You know what I'm like? That's because yeah. I don't know. I always wonder what it is because I do things that feel good to me on the inside. Like, what is it that men get out of that? That <laughs> I've always wondered that, like, this doesn't feel good, does it? Does this really feel good to you? Like, I don't know. That's a very, it's odd to me that men want to participate in the patriarchy mostly just because, like, it doesn't look happy. <laughs> like, there's nothing, I don't know. I but mean, what is it about our culture that trains men that that's what happiness looks like? That's what joy looks like having girls in Darius rooms in your recording studio. Like, you've made it if that's what you can do. Like, that's so odd to me. Mm. What were you going to say, yeah. Whitney? Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, I think that plays into, like, that toxic masculinity a lot. Like, society has taught men, you know, be a man, masculine, and R. Kelly, you know, keeping this girl here, keeping this girl here. Like, you know, that's, Almost like socializing them to of... think that that's what they should like. And, like, and if you don't like it, then yeah. sometimes you're yeah. weird or something like that. And, I mean, I, I kind of think... Oof, Lord. I don't know. I feel like... See, um, we're having this response to just talking about it, but men live like this, and, like, men have goals to be like this, and it doesn't bother them as much as it does for us to just talk about it. I don't know. I mean, we teach at an all-boys school, and I feel mm-hmm. like to not teach... We teach we teach middle school boys that are still young. They're impressionable. They can be taught, you know, the right way before they get yes. too steeped and ingrained in the bullshit that is masculinity, that is patriarchy. And I feel like, you you know, we do a disservice to little boys and to, to young men when we don't teach them that this shit is wrong. Because then they go out into the world and they start perpetuating this really toxic and abusive behavior. And they genuinely genuinely don't see anything wrong with it because they've been socialized to think that way. And I'm not yeah. taking away personal accountability. I'm not taking away, like, you know, your ability and your cognizance to recognize right or wrong. But there are genuinely people out there willing to defend people like Bill Cosby, willing to defend, like, I just, like, it just is galling to me how many people are defending this nigga R. Kelly, and this is what the fuck he's been doing this whole time. And they're like, well, he's been doing, literally, well, he's been doing it this long. I, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, something. So that's the reason to leave it alone. He's been doing it 20 years, and that's the reason to say, <laughs> yeah. okay, let, let him do what, do his thing. That shit is yeah. bizarre. That shit is, like, oh, wow. wild, like, super, super wild to me. I don't, <laughs> What were you yeah. going to say? I was going to say it amazes me how after the the whole sex tape came out, instead of it being like, you know, because I came out when I was a kid and I remember, but afterwards. I think that, he went to trial. Like, it came out in 2002. He went to trial in 2008, I think. So, yeah, uh, okay. like, so we were yeah, still like in middle school. school. Yeah, I was like, we were around you know, the age of the, the girl in the video. I wasn't even and, in high school yet. Yeah. Wow. And afterwards, I just remember thinking, and I think this was kind of what a lot of people thought of him at the time, not really that he's a pedophile, but just thinking like, oh, wow, R. Kelly's a freak. He's nasty. And, you know, you think of it, and that's something that I feel like because he's a man, and then he, you know, that's the persona he took on in his art instead of, you know, if if that was a woman the other way around, we wouldn't be like, oh, she's just a freak. She's crazy in bed. You know, you know, I can't. It didn't feel like a departure. (laughs) Yeah. It didn't feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would even, like, I think if he was doing that with somebody who was of age, and I'd be like, it's shit is still kind of weird to me. But then again, like, if you're of age, like, you have the autonomy and the agency to make your own sexual choices. So if you like to get peed on mm-hmm. and all that other shit, like, that's up to you. But, yeah. like, with the 12-year-old, like, was she, what, 12 or 14? I think she I was, like... 14, 13. Yeah, yeah oh, 14. Okay. I'm like, that's, like, that's disgusting. Like, you're yeah. a whole grown-ass man. I'm like, yeah. obviously... This is a child who's impressionable, who you can manipulate. Like, this is abuse. Like, this is what we're we're watching, like, when we're consuming. And then, like, I remember when the tape came out, because I was in sixth or seventh grade. It was everywhere. Yes, I was, like, in Mm -hmm. sixth or seventh grade, and I was old enough and, I guess, what, (laughs) worldly enough to understand. I didn't see it, but I knew what, like, porn was. I understood what child pornography was. And I was like, people are fucking watching this video. Like, they're passing mm-hmm. it around. Okay. Like, it's Please. a bootleg of, like, a fucking oh, yeah. Disney film, like, that hasn't been released. Yet. Like, hey, like, yeah. have you seen the R. Kelly? Like, yeah. people, like, my people oh, my yeah. age, like, come to my house after school, let's watch your R. Kelly tape. But in my mind, I'm like, they were selling this shit at the That's fucking beauty porn. supply. At the beauty supply, you yeah. get a copy of this video. And so yeah. I'm just like. Oh, kitty porn. Yes. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Like, I knew it happened, but I didn't realize that until I watched the R. Kelly documentary. Like, I was actually thinking, wow, child porn was viewed all over the nation. Like, like people when were I was buying young, I didn't think of it like that. Yes. Yeah. But, and, and then, that's and the then, thing yeah. that is context. 
literally. Like, once you say, like, oh, he made a kitty porn tape, it's like, oh, well, that sucks. But then you say, like, no, whole communities were selling this shit on the street as right. if it was nothing. It was yeah. easy. Like, it then was it's like, like, oh, wow. Like, of we, a 14 year old. Yeah. So we have to talk about how easily accessible this video was. Like, I could have got, yeah. I, at, how old was I in 2012? I think I was like 11 or 12. I could have easily, easily viewed, either viewed this tape at a friend's house or went and picked up my own copy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how, like, accessible yeah. this shit was. And to me, that's disgusting how all mm-hmm. we've been, how we've been socialized so much to the point that, like, none of us thought anything wrong or bad about purchasing it, about watching it. People were watching mm-hmm. it multiple times, rewinding yeah. it and shit. Oh, that's not him. Oh, yeah. fast forward. No, that's not, that's <laughs> yeah. it. And I'm like, this is what we're doing. Like, this is literally what we're doing right now. And to me, that is just, like... What I know now and being in the position I'm in now, I think when we talk about context and we talk about like cultural context and how the culture has shifted, and I, you can argue if it's, I don't think it's shifted enough. I'll just say that right now. But um, I think um, with movements like Me Too, we're more inclined to be enraged about shit that has been happening a long time. And so when people are like, we are just now caring, like y'all knew it was wrong back then. I'm like, there, there is some truth to that statement, but it does not, it doesn't excuse him. And like, this is my yeah. thing is like, wrong is wrong. Okay. And like, we should have been outraged back then. We weren't, but we're motherfucking outraged now. And his ass needs to be in jail, like in prison. Like, and he needs to be yeah. put away. Another thing to keep in mind and that people are not, Again, context, like you are talking to a generation of women and girls that were reared on different stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So like you can say that like, um, oh, y'all didn't care back then. No, I was 14, babe. Like I literally yeah. couldn't do anything about this. My mama didn't care back then is what you meant to say. Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. mom did not care that there was a video of a child being raped passed around like it was a graduation tape. What you meant to say is that your uncle watched a video of a child being raped and did not care about it. What you Mm -hmm. meant to say is that your granny watched a video of a child and did not care about it. That's what you meant to say. Don't say we, or don't say, Mm -hmm. sorry, don't say y'all, because y'all were 12, y'all were 13, y'all had no idea that this was as endemic into in our culture as it was because we were children yeah we shouldn't have known that that's not something we should have known. we shouldn't have known that it existed but because adults around us did not care that they were watching kitty porn <laughs> and made it available to children we do know about it so like that's all that's the only thing that i've been like annoyed by when it comes to the responses to this because it's like no baby we couldn't do anything about it then we're pissed off now because we're adult women who understand that that's wrong, be pissed off at the women that came before us that weren't bothered by it and are still defending this man. And you know, that's who you should be pissed that, off at. No, that really, you said something really profound that they were raised differently than we were because even in talking, I feel like my mom, um, she drops like little feminist and womanist gems here and there, but you still, when you talk to her, when you talk to my grandmother, it is very clear that they were raised with a different set of ideals in a different time period than I was and than my sister was. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk to them and you say these things, like I even remember back then, like my mom was like, Ugh, he's weird, he's nasty. Like, yeah, say the fuck away from me. Like that was definitely her attitude. But like mm-hmm. the part of the attitude that I have, which was the missing link, was like, yes, he is all of those things. Now let's fucking indict this nigga and prosecute him. That was yeah. the part Take that is like, that was a part yeah. that was like missing. It was more like a I thought they were raised in generations like, oh, like, you know, that's the neighborhood creep. Stay away from him. Mm-hmm. Don't get caught alone with him. Instead of like, no, like Let's take the processes. That's the I mean, creep. Let's yeah, take him to jail. yeah, like those. And I think, you know, there are different intersections that are and this is actually one of the questions that we can move on to here in a second. But I think there are different intersections as to why in particular black people do not contact the police about certain things is because we've been so police and it's like for us the police are basically like you know an extension of the fucking slave overseer so we don't talk to them we don't fuck with them at all we don't want them in our neighborhood Mm -hmm. no matter what the problem is how big or how small we'll handle ourselves because in our minds they'll do more damage you know more negative Mm -hmm. damage than we could actually do by just dealing with this person by ourselves so but see that's the thing like why didn't if that was the case, why wasn't the community 
incensed enough for us to exact some kind know. of community justice. I don't know. I feel like, you know, I feel like we pick because and choose. We cherry like pick, you know? We, we, yeah. Happen, like, if, if my mom knew that I had experienced sexual violence, she would have destroyed that dude. Yes. So, like, mm-hmm. why was there no one in these? Because that's the other thing that bothers the hell out of me. There's no one in these girls' lives that legitimately believe that R. Kelly should honestly not exist. And that's, like, not even being extra. Just, like, dog, if you rape my child, then you need to, like, not be here anymore. Just on general principle. But there was no one in those girls' lives that felt that way. And part of the reason that they didn't feel that way is because he had a lot of money. And people legitimately believe that folks with a lot of money are worth more than other people. Oh, we're gonna so like, we're gonna get to we're gonna dive into that one because that that's sorry. No, you're fine. Like no, sorry. like there's no such thing as, like, as getting too far ahead here. Like no, like you're absolutely right. Let's go ahead and move into our second question then. Um, how has pop and mainstream culture ignored and in many ways supported the actions of Robert Kelly? Well, the thing that was weird to me in yeah. the in the documentary was that there were people who actively worked with R. Kelly. Like, even the fact that this was on MTV News means mm-hmm. that at least people who work at MTV, which means people who are very well-connected in the music industry, knew that this was a problem. But they, again, did not do anything because he made people money. So it was worth it to find ways, because this man can't read. So it was worth yes. to find ways oh my gosh, to make cannot, his yeah. exploits happen because he made people money. Yeah, But, um, like, that, I absolutely believe that that was part of, like, the, the industry absolutely played a huge role in making that happen. Because even down to, like, they were buying plane tickets. So an accountant knew that this man was buying four or five plane tickets for someone mm-hmm. that wasn't him. And since he can't read, Somebody else had to make those reservations. Oh my God. Like he had a whole, like, so like that's the most, there um, was a staff. yeah, he had a whole network of people helping him. And I mean, how has pop and mainstream culture ignored in many ways supported the actions? Go well, ahead. I was going to say, there's also the whole, like, the way everybody was making fun of the the P thing with mm-hmm. like Dave Chappelle yeah. and the boondocks. And, um, you know, we kind of made a, a joke out of it. Yeah, it's absolutely. Crazy. Even years later, everyone talks about, you know, how he peed on a girl more so than the girl was 14 years old. Yeah, it's, you know? like, it's definitely <laughs> sensationalized and made into a joke. And, like, I think that's really harmful because what it does, I mean, it draws attention to it, right? But at the same time. Um, it takes the piss out of it. It, ta- it, takes, like it takes the sting out of talking yes, about it. Yes, it does. And it, it desensitizes us to what happens. It's like, oh, he peed on a girl. Ha ha. Yeah. It's like, no, like, this nigga peed on a fucking child. Like, yeah. he pissed on her. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And he was like, like you no, know. Not a girl, a child. And proceeded yeah. to rape her. Like, this is what. Peed on. Yeah, yeah, this is what's happening. I, um, I read an article about the Queen Bee and how her father and her mother, and I, I don't, um, I don't really know how reputable this source was, but like, you know, she came into the music industry to her and the rest of the members of Destiny's Child. Yes, came into the music industry. Yeah, when she was like 15. And like, he mentions, Matthew Mm -hmm. Knowles mentions how Robert Kelly also, he always just wanted to record in the studio like super, super late. So he would want to record Mm -hmm. in the studio like midnight. He had a club attached to the studio with like 40 people and they're taking drugs and dancing. So he was like, I always made sure, you know, Tina was with the girls, just always kind of like by their side. I never, he's like, I just kept kind of rejecting him. He's like, not because I really thought that he was a creep. He's like, I had her. He's like, more so because he didn't have any good music. Except, but then once, you know, Beyonce got old enough and she like had knowledge of her for herself of what had happened with Aaliyah, like she strategically blocked a lot of his writing credits on her music because she's like, I don't want him getting any of my money. She's like, I don't want him being affiliated with me in any way. And I think to this day that the article mentioned that Destiny's Child is one of the only R&B groups to come out of the 90s that does not have R. Kelly mentioned somewhere within their catalog. I think they have one song they did with him and the way that Matthew was able to finesse like the legal proceedings or whatever that happened around that song um, that song is in no way attached to him. Like, so there's no, like, there's no financial linkage between Destiny's Child, Beyonce Knowles, and any of whatever the fuck Robert Kelly has going on. And I think when we talk about how much of an influential writer, like, 
I didn't know he was writing for like Celine Dion. Like Celine Dion in the nineties. His catalog is heavy. His catalog yeah. is like impressive as fuck. And this is why I think it's so hard for people to really come to yeah. terms because, like you said, he's making lots. Not only lots of people, he's making companies and corporations money. Companies and corporations they don't play about their money. They don't play about the people who make them their money. So they're gonna protect them at all costs. R. Kelly's been doing this shit for like twenty plus years. Nobody's been saying anything. Nobody's been saying anything, and I think that is the power of money. Like, the people at his school, the principal, knew his ass was pulling up in the parking lot, fucking in his 30s, parking lot pimping with high schoolers and shit, and nobody said anything to him. Nobody wants to say anything to him. Like, nobody is upset about this shit. Like, nothing. Like, he's worked with Celine Dion, Michael Jackson, like, some of the biggest stars you can name in the world. And these are people that that he worked with all after he got married to Aaliyah. Mm-hmm. He did that in 1994. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Whitney Houston's funeral, which means that they knew. Whitney Houston's funeral. What were you saying? I remember my parents were telling me I didn't. I didn't watch her funeral because I didn't have. I was in college and have cable at the time. But, uh, <laughs> Bruce broke. But, yeah, but I remember my parents Capital telling me Ripper. that that his song. Uh, what he sing? Whitney Houston's song that he wrote for her, I Look to You. Uh-huh. He sang that at her funeral, and everyone said that was, like, the best part of the funeral. My parents, like, he made me cry. And this is, like, you know, years after all, but, like, we still love R. Kelly. That's what, you know, I feel like that's a lot of what pop culture is saying. Like, I'm like, that was the best part of Whitney Houston's funeral? The best part like, of her funeral is this nigga gets up here and starts singing with his old pedophile ass. Yeah. This is the best part. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's sad. Um, it's, like super just but yeah i mean like i said like you know like we've all kind of just agreed money makes so much of a difference and i think Mm -hmm. that you know we can't get away from the fact that r kelly is an industry giant like he is talented musically like he um he is and he's he's contributed so much to the sound that we recognize today like even all these artists that are out today like the big pop stars like bruno mars ariana grande they're all influenced by these R and B sounds that were created by Teddy Riley and R. Kelly in the nineties. Like this shit is nineties R and B is yes, huge. like it is like it it is a thing. It is a whole vibe, and people want to recreate that vibe. And R. Kelly, you know, for better or for worse, he's like a very very um, integral part to how that was created and how it really came to be a mainstream and accepted sound. And once it did, and once these people started making all this money off of him, capitalism. Oh well, I mean. I mean, if he's just, like, if they're parents, like, you know, some of the excuses, like, some people, that's what trips me out is the excuses that people are willing to make for this nigga. Like, well, they're parents. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, regardless, yeah. if they're parents, do their parents are wrong, too. But guess what? Yeah. He still did it, though. He still, yeah. like, was out there molesting it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, so, yeah. so parents that are maybe sick and twisted and terrible people gave permission to a rapist to rape their child. Does that make the rapist not a rapist? Yeah. Like, for real, let's be for real here. Does that make him any less culpable for what he did? Like, it doesn't, in my opinion. It just doesn't. It doesn't. So. Mm. Well, I mean, like, even if they had been parents who were willing to sell their daughter to a rich man so that they could possibly reach reap financial reward, which is what this was, um, if he had not been a rapist, <laughs> they would have never had an opportunity to do yeah. that. I think that's funny when people are like, well, what yes. are the parents? If R. Kelly had not been a rapist, we would not be having this conversation right now. No, we wouldn't. And, like, the very fact that he is is the whole reason he was willing to engage in these illicit relationships with these girls is because he is a pedophile, and that's who he is. That's what he has decided to, That's you know, that's yep. what the sexual relationships that he wants to pursue and what he wants to be in. And that, unfortunately, is very wrong and terrible because that makes him a criminal and very sick. But it's just like, you know, there in no way does that – I just don't. I just. I just don't get that. As far as like you know, let's go ahead and segue into our third question because we're going to spend a lot of time here. So, what intersections do you see between race, class, gender, and how these aspects of identity have all worked to silence Black women and girls and allow their perpetrators to often go unpunished? Well, he wasn't doing this to to reach Black girls. Mm-mm. He wasn't doing this to. And like, that's the thing that sucks is that because we are in America and America is essentially becoming if not a third world, definitely a second world country. There, over almost half of the people who are here are below the poverty line. Money is a real, real thing. You could get killed for twenty dollars out here. That is real life. And so, like, of course, they were willing to. to if they were living in a country where like money is not 
inequality is huge here. So mm-hmm. this is not that that's not something that you can take for granted. If we did not live in a world where black bodies were racialized and then black women's bodies were racialized and gendered in a way that makes it so that they are less likely to honestly have hassle-filling lives, um, have lives that are not centered around them working 60, 70, 80 hours a week because they're just trying to survive because they cannot get jobs where they pay um, livable wages because we are less likely to um, be given the the resources to go to good school um, and all of these other things. And because honestly, our bodies are coded as in this culture, our bodies are coded as less valuable, period. Being a black girl, like this relates heavily to the the sex work conversation that you were having, (laughs) the sex work and capitalism conversation Uh, that you had, because like black women's body, if you are as someone who previously did sex work, so I paid for college doing domination. So like, oh, I kicked wow. white men in the ball to make a uh, make a way for me to go to college. So I don't have any college debt, which is a huge thing. Yeah, that is. <laughs> Most people don't have that privilege. Yeah. Yes. And so like, even when I was in the dungeons, it didn't matter how good I looked that day. If a white girl was there, and they wanted someone. They didn't, they weren't looking for someone black specifically because there were a lot of people who were just like, your blackness is the reason why I'm here, which is the other side of that spectrum of like gross being fetishized and dehumanized and that sort of thing. If they were just looking for a woman, white women are coded as women in our culture. Black women are coded as outliers and people trying to attempt to be women in our culture. That's why beauty is so big for us. That's why hair is so big for us. We are trying to make up for the fact that we showed up as black. And so we are trying to humanize ourselves and then also feminize ourselves because women are treated a specific way in our culture. And because black women show up as black, we don't get those privileges. And so like people will come to the dungeon and choose a white girl over me every time they were not looking for a black woman specifically because that body is more valuable. Mm-hmm. Like outside of the dungeon, if I was working with a white girl, I got to see her make tons of money and also be run down and dirty and like <laughs> not have the, no, I mean, I'm just being honest. Like I worked with a girl at her house for a little while and she did massages and I did domination stuff and she had no photos to really like show herself off, which is what people tell you to do when you're doing sex work and you want to be legitimate, you get good pictures, et cetera. All of those things don't make up for you showing up as black though. A fancy black girl is not worth as much as a quote unquote low class white woman. And so like, because of that, black women's bodies are not seen as valuable in our culture. And that is the only reason why he was able to do this. And that is why he kept choosing young black girls. Cause I imagine that black women were not the only people showing up to his concerts. He could have chosen white girls if he wanted to, he did not want to, because if he had raped one white girl, we would not be having this conversation in 20 fuck 19 when mm-hmm. I'm 30 years old. And I knew about this when I was 14 Shit. and yeah, I'm nobody. So I should not have known about this. I'm in the bottom of Texas. I should not have known about this. I had no connection to larger culture. The only way that I could watch in TV was at a friend's house who had cable because my mama could not afford cable. People knew about this and didn't care because they were black girls. That's literally it. If he fucked a, a white girl, we would not be having this conversation. No, like, for real, for real. No. If most of Bill Cosby's victims had been uh, affluent white women, they would have handled his ass in the 60s. Yeah. You he know, wouldn't have crazy. had an opportunity to rape upwards of 60 women, yeah. which is absurd. <laughs> you know, I recall. And I, yo, it really is. And I, I recall, because uh, I knew about... <laughs> I knew Bill Cosby was a rapist and I was like in high school, like back in like 2007, yeah. like, 2008. Like, oh. Yes. Like oh. I, I knew I had heard like whispers for like a very long time. Like oh, no. he had raped uh, a few men in Canada. He had raped a few men on the East coast. And like back then, like it just made you like, look like I had those moments of like pause. I was like, Oh, uh, what the fuck? But like, it's almost like um, this sheep mentality where nobody else is enraged by this shit. Like nobody else in the race. I'm like, oh, is it really that big of a deal? And I remember I used to question myself about that and about R. Kelly too, because like nobody else really seemed to give a fuck. So I was like, well, maybe he really didn't do it. I mean, like he got off in trial. Maybe Bill Cosby really mm-hmm. didn't do it because of the fact he really did do it. Then and you know all these thoughts start racing through your head as far as like, and this is this 
not only is there a rape culture that is prevalent, there is also an apologist culture that is prevalent that says, oh, it really wasn't that bad or he didn't really do it. Yeah. All these excuses that are like perpetuated around these really super sexually violent men that allow them to go unpunished. And in regard to R. Kelly, um, you know, the reason he was able to do all this has absolutely a lot to do with money. Like, you know, these girls, uh, parents, like they wanted to make their children into stars. They knew that mm-hmm. R. Kelly was capable of doing that. They, I, I, I doubt very much in my heart that these parents had not heard some rumor, some Look, story yeah. about this man being a sexual predator. They chose One not of the to believe said it. That they did. Yeah, they chose to disregard it. They chose to write it off. They chose not to believe it simply for the fact that they felt like he could make their children into stars and that they were going to financially benefit from it, that they were going to be able to make their lives better, socially you know, mobilize upward, increase their station life, all these different things, all these different ways that they could become better. And so they ignored it and allowed their children to be violated, you know, at the hands yeah. of this man because they felt like, you know, well, oh, and I mean, I you see, you hear about this shit all the time. Like it happens all the time with parent uh, with children who go into like, who are trying to become famous or going into acting or going into the arts or pursuing like you know, um, performing arts and and you know a lot of the time you go on auditions and you go to places where your parents can't always be there for you. I remember that's one of the main reasons I wanted to I wanted to audition for Barney. I was a dancer, I did musical theater, I did all that. I wanted to audition for Barney, and my mom was like, no, my mom's a single parent. She was a nurse. She's like, I can't be with you everywhere. She's like, no. Mm-hmm. And I remember my sister, who was five years older than me, my mom actually wanted to put her into uh, show business. Like, she went on a commercial audition. And she was one of, like, the two finalists. And my dad was like, you know, like, I don't think we should do it because we can't be with her everywhere. And he's like, you know, you see a lot of shit. My dad, my uncle, Larry Graham, was the bass guitarist for Prince and the bass guitarist for Sign the Family Stone. And my dad, when he was so a they kid... No, like, my dad saw this shit first, especially yeah. with Sly and the family. Like, them niggas did all the drugs. And he was like, you know, there's a lot of shit <laughs> that you don't need to be. He's like, there's a lot of shit that goes on that, like, you really don't want to see, that no one should really need, should ever have the need to see. He's like, you know, mm-hmm. you don't really want to expose our children to that type of stuff. And so just from those experiences um, and just my own little experiences I've had with, like, celebrity culture and some of the shit that goes on, I don't really know if it is necessarily a safe place for children, especially in regard to, like, people like R. Kelly existing and, like, Hollywood is full of pedophiles. Like, this is a well-known, documented fact. Like, they're there. Yep. Um, But I think it's also most people, they think, like, oh, well, it'll never, it won't happen to me or it won't happen to my children. Because I remember being as a kid, like, my mom never let me or my sister, like, we couldn't go to sleepovers, and I had all kinds of friends that went to sleepovers, mm-hmm. you know. But a lot of people aren't thinking like I need to be with my kid all the time. I don't you know? I need to know who they're around with. They're just mm-hmm. like, oh, that won't happen to my child. Like Sparkle was like, she had heard about R. Kelly, and she brought her and niece. Introduced and her she's niece, like, yeah. Well, that won't happen. You know, a lot of people don't think that that's gonna affect them. Happen. You know, I think part of that is the fact that we don't. So, like what I said when we did the intros, um, if the data says that upwards of 80% of women are raped or molested before they are 18, so like that's the starting point. And the data also says that 70 plus percent of rapes and molestations never even get reported. Mm-hmm. That means that most of the people that we know have been raped or molested. And if the data says that most people are raped or molested by people that they know and not strangers, then that means that we are spending our time around rapists. I think part of the disservice that we do to ourselves is not talking about the fact that rape is so endemic in our culture, and not just like black culture, but culture, period. That's not, this, there are statistics just for black women. These are statistics for everybody. So like if I pass 10 people on the street and seven of them are women, that means Five of women have been raped or molested. Gosh. They spent time around or molesters, and the people that they spend time with also spend time around rapists or molesters. What I'm saying is they're like, people, that, that like weird thing about people telling themselves, oh, this one happened to me, it already has. You know yeah. people who have been raped and molested. 
we do ourselves a disservice not being honest about how big that is. How big it is. Because all of us know rapists. Yes, and then... Know people who've been raped. How big it is and how often it's happening from people we know. Because a lot of the... Yeah. <laughs> like, it's happening, like, it's, you know, it's it's our it's our uncles, it's our brothers, it's our fathers, yeah. my God, it's our yeah. grandfathers. It's, you know, it's our aunts, our sisters. It's people that are super, super close to us that are doing this shit. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people, like, you know, there's this stranger danger phenomenon that people are like oh it's mm-hmm. it's strangers doing it. like no it's no. people that we are very close to that we know who are doing this to other people and so when we say that and we talk about that i think that um i think also another really important dimension to talk about when we're talking about class and money is that a lot of these women i think are just now coming to terms and being able to really talk about this because when it was happening to them, they had no real financial means to actually address this shit, right? So if we're taking somebody to trial and you're going to like actually bring up really serious allegations against someone who is a giant in the music industry, who's someone who has a lot of money, who has a lot of influence, what are your real resources to actually get anything done? Like, you know, like what? And I think a lot of the time, and not even just when we're talking about his particular victims, when we're talking about people in general, like if somebody that you perceive to be more powerful does something to you, what what are your what is your thought process? What is the thought process of these people who are victims who are like, well, they've already stripped away so much of my power. Do I actually have enough power to take them to court? Do I actually have enough power to pursue, you know, charges against this person? And what happens if nothing happens? How much more power have I lost? What position have I now put myself in to experience more harm, more danger, more trauma, you know? Yeah, and I think taking them to court in general is just, it's traumatizing. Like, you think about the girl in the sex tape, and she never came out and said that she did. And, you know, I could totally understand her or her family. I wouldn't want to be, you know, known as the girl that's that's in the tape that everyone saw at 14 years old. And, you know, I'm like, it's that... That's even further. True, because she was never named. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. no. We still don't know who this young lady is. We still have no idea who she is. I'm sure people are probably in Chicago and people who are closer around to that situation obviously know who she is, know her her name, uh, know where she probably is right now and what she's doing. And I don't think... To be honest, uh, she probably left Chicago. You think so? I wouldn't have... I would not have stayed in Chicago. I wouldn't have either. If my 14th year of life was marked by me getting peed on that I trusted, and at 18, I probably just fuck from Chicago. Like, these people made a decision to um, lampoon... Uh, an entire like court proceeding that went on for quite a long time and dragged out for years. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, no, I probably would have gotten out of Chicago. I highly doubt that girl was still there. Oh man. Uh, so I mean, just to wrap up and to kind of close it for today. Um, I think I think I might actually do a part two to this. I'm not sure when. I don't think I want to do it anytime soon because just talking about this and unpacking this is just really very. I feel very, so gross so right draining. now. Yeah, <laughs> it's very difficult and it's very draining because you talk about these things and like what has happened to these girls who have been put, um, you know, unwillingly into this spotlight has ha- is happening. Like you know, like we all have mentioned, is happening to people all around us every day. And so when we talk about that, it's just very very sobering for me, especially. I have a little girl, uh, you know, regardless, I have a child, period. Like, whether it was a little boy, a little girl, I, you know, I think about these things, and I'm I'm like your mom, Emma. Like, I'm going to prison if anybody does anything to my child. I don't give a fuck who you are. Like, I'm waking up every day with a smile in my fucking jumpsuit. Like, what's up, bitch? I'm here. The nigga who did something to my child or the woman, they're dead. Like, I killed their ass a long time ago, and I'm here, and I'm going to do my time. My daughter and... can have peace. Yeah. <laughs> and she knows that her mom was willing to risk it all. Yes, and here I am. What's up? So I just think about those types of things. And, um, I mean, what do we have? What do we offer? What do we offer to, especially to black girls? Because most primarily his victims were black girls. Like, these are not fully cognizant, fully developed, fully grown women. These are young girls. What do we offer? I would also say, like, the fact that we use past tense language is part of the issue because his his victims right now are also black girls. To me, I'm mm-hmm. 30 years old, and I'm not that old, but to me, 18 is a child. Oh, yeah, So, for like, sure. if you're using the law to, like, finesse your way into fucking teenagers without fucking anyone who's illegal until you're, like, 
um, when he answered that question in the Touré interview, which also happened in the mid-90s. <laughs> so, like, yeah, anyway, so when he did the, the interview and he was like, well, teenagers, how old are we talking? That's disgusting. Um, his face when he asked teenagers. that question, like, well, how are we talking? Really I'm like, what do you mean? Like, like, <laughs> but like, if Mason Val are, are girls, 18 is a girl. If he is like finding an 18 year old girl to replace one of the ones that left, which is gross to me, but also is like what we learned that he was replacing these girls as if they were items. So like mm-hmm. still now his victims are like, even when people talk about them, like God, we have to stop using past tense language. This man is still free. Yeah. It's still happening. Just last year he had those girls wasn't he taking girls oh. hostage or something like yeah, that? It's all sorts of something. shit. Like yep. that girl's mom mm-hmm. was trying to find her, and like her, uh, this girl, another girl's parents, like kept going to TMZ. They're like, he has our child. Like we're tra-. like people are like literally resorting to like creative ways to catch this nigga because like the law is just not upstanding in this regard. Like, they're just not doing shit to do to like counter his actions to like try maybe catch him on some kind of charge. Like I'm like. Even if it's and another, like, reason, another way that that is happening is literally just because he has money to pay people. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, again, we run into the situation where, like, we have to talk about the way that capitalism gives people the opportunity to victimize women and girls. Because yeah. if he had not had money for those expensive lawyers, if he hadn't had money to pay off in the in the documentary when he when the mom comes to the hotel and then she comes back and the hotel dude is like. Oh, well, she said that you're not her mom dog. You saw her. You went upstairs with her. And because they are adults, you can say that you're hiding behind that. But that man gave you money. Because, like, if this had been any other situation, that hotel would have been liable. Yeah. Because trafficking is a thing. No, it is. It definitely is. So, like, like, what are you talking about, dog? He gave people money so that they were cool with not doing stuff to this man. Because it's not even just the law, even though the law definitely prioritizes rich people over poor people. But, like, that's, that's wild to me. Yeah. That's wild to me. Is that your dog in the background? I don't have a dog. That's my neighbor's dog. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap up. I thank y'all so much for coming to have this conversation with me. I, um, I'll keep everybody updated whether or not I continue to uh, go in this direction and keep going on with this episode. But thank you guys so much for tuning in with us and we'll see you next time.